Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. Today, we're going to cover one of the big stock market stories of 2023, which has been the strong share price performances of the so-called Magnificent Seven US technology companies. So these companies are Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Meta Platforms, which is of course Facebook, Tesla, Alphabet and Nvidia. These companies have seen their share prices surge year to date in response to excitement about the potential of artificial intelligence, so AI, which is predicted to disrupt various industries. Joining me to talk about technology shares is Stephen Yu, lead fund manager of the Blue Whale Growth Fund. Among Stephen's top 10 holdings are Nvidia and Microsoft. So he's very well placed to give his views on AI and also explain why he's continuing to find value in those two companies as well as other technology-related firms. Stephen, when I last interviewed you a year ago, you predicted that NVIDIA would become the next trillion-dollar company. This happened in May of this year. And year-to-date, you know, it's been such a successful stock. The share price is up around 240%. Are you surprised by how much that share price has sizzled in 2023? And could you talk us through what your current positioning is? Have you been taking some profits this year, given the phenomenal share price performance of NVIDIA? Yeah, that's a very important question to address. So if we look back to June 2021, when we first initiated the position at NVIDIA, its market cap was at about $500 billion at the time. And then later on in 2021, market cap peaked at about 800 billion. But of course, last year when we chatted about Nvidia, that the shares has gone down a lot, and the market cap was at about three, four hundred billion dollars. So recently, the shares has been very strong, mostly on the back of the generative AI or ChatGPT that started this time last year, and hence the shares is now trading at about 1.2 trillion dollars. What surprised us was the timing of the recovery, because obviously we were talking about NVIDIA going to be a next trillion dollar company, but we probably would think that that would take place over the course of the next two years. We are, are true believers in AI. We think AI is going to be quite game-changing. What we didn't know is the timing of the AI arriving so much quicker. At the same time, the penetration is a lot faster than what we would have envisaged at the time. So then looking at valuation today, that comparing NVIDIA to say December 2021, when market cap was at about $800 billion, now it's at $1.2 trillion, which is how we assess a company in terms of the cash flow generation from the company, is we are a lot happier today because of all the new information that we have received in terms of the co-pilot, uh, Microsoft is launching, the Firefly and Adobe, at the same time, a lot of company and also developing some generative AI capability. So we we are actually quite happy with the positioning that we have and NVIDIA remains the largest position in the fund as we speak. As an open-ended fund, there are certain rules that fund managers have to adhere to and there's certain rules in place to ensure that funds are sufficiently diversified. Now, one of those rules is that funds cannot hold more than 10% in a single stock. That's for open-ended funds. Has this been an issue at all? Have you been having to take some profits from NVIDIA you know, as it reached the 10% level? 
That's correct. So this year that we were forced to trim our position in a very small way twice uh, since NVIDIA became a trillion dollar company. And of course, the strategy that we're running is a usage strategy so that we need a no put single position could be more than 10%. It does cause us some issue in particular in this year scenario. The reason being is compared to the opportunity set that we were heavily exposed to during the pandemic in terms of digital transformations, we were heavily invested in software company, cloud businesses, e-commerce, digital advertising, and so many others. And, and hence, we did relatively well during the pandemic period. But when you look at artificial intelligence, which is something that we are very positive about today or for the foreseeable coming years, that there are only a handful of companies that you can get direct exposure to. And NVIDIA, for what it's doing in terms of building the infrastructure, producing the GPU that every AI would need to be powered on, you do not have another five NVIDIA out there. So it's an issue that we are limited to 10% because that is not like we can find another three to five company that would have the same dynamics as NVIDIA. However, of course, I mean, we want to stick with the rule. So we, we're keeping it quite close to the limit as we speak. So if that 10% rule wasn't in place, in theory, you'd have run your winner even more. That's right. And at the same time, uh, which is a very important thing that we, we can explore further, that we think in the next couple of years that we are now in a new regime. And a new regime means that with the geopolitics uncertainty, with the oil price being quite steady at a high level, inflation remains sticky, there are not many businesses out there that can transcend the macro uncertainties. So if you can continue to sell products and services irrespective of the headwinds out there, that's great, which is what we have invested into those companies like NVIDIA or Microsoft, but there are just not many of these businesses. So going forward, you have fewer opportunities to invest into compared to the last couple of years, which makes the rule quite stringent in terms of the outperformance potential that we can deliver. You just mentioned Microsoft. So that's one of the other six companies that are members of the Magnificent Seven that you hold, and it's a top 10 holding. Do you expect this company to be one of the biggest AI winners? And as well as AI, could you talk through the other reasons for optimism and reasons why you hold Microsoft for the long term? We are very optimistic about the prospect of Microsoft. We have held Microsoft since inception of the fund back in September 17. Microsoft had been consistently featured on our top 10 holdings until today. So we have basically been running a very big position in Microsoft since we started. And if I recall the market cap of Microsoft back then, it was at about $800 billion. Uh, back in September 17. And of course, the market cap today is about $2.7 trillion. So it's gone up uh, more than three times. The reason that we are increasingly even more positive about Microsoft is on the back of the co-pilots, the generative AI technology. Because if you look at the world knowledge worker base, there are about a billion people who would use some form of computers to perform their work, including us uh, sitting here today. At the same time, people in the forest might be working in some sort of outsourced call centers. So there are about a billion of these people that would use computers. And that's already headline numbers quoting that's going to be $1 trillion of opportunities 
in AI. And people have an issue trying to reconcile how you come to a $1 trillion number. One way to do that is to to try to uh, segment that number into how much productivity we can improve on or how much headcount that we can save. And if you go back to the 1 billion knowledge workers that we just talked about, assuming that everyone get paid about $20,000 a year, of course, we sit here in London that we would get paid more than that number, but people in the Friars might get a smaller number, let's say on average $20,000. In order to justify $1 trillion of opportunities, either you reduce the global headcount by 50 million people, which is 5%, that's one trillion, 50 million multiplied by $20,000, or you increase productivity by 5%, that's one trillion dollar for you. So in today's context, of course, Microsoft Office 365 product is truly embedded in the knowledge worker domain, the Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, etc. The co-pilot that they just launched recently are only charging for about $30 a month, which is about $400 a year. And you can imagine at some point, some of the lower entry level work can be done by co-pilot rather than your higher a graduate, which you might need to pay about maybe 25 to 30K in London, that you can save a lot of money as a company. And then the ultimate question is, okay, Microsoft is going to charge you for about $400 a year. You could save 25 to 30K a year. Is that $400 the right number or should that be an even bigger number? So we are very positive on a prospect of Microsoft, which is one of those few companies that could utilize a lot of the generative AI technology to transform that technology into the day-to-day -day work in the white-collar domain. Of the other household names in the technology sector, which are US listed, you've previously had investments in Amazon, Alphabet, and Meta. Are those companies completely off the table now, or could you one day go back into any of those? Ultimately, is a, is a matter of uh, valuation and also the regime that we are in. At the moment, we remain very cautious about consumer-facing businesses. So if you look at Amazon, the e-commerce business, that we have less money in our pocket because of the inflation narrative, the interest rate narrative, and is the conversion rate of us buying more things from Amazon is going to be a lot uh, lower going into the next few years. And then secondly, of course, for Alphabet, which we, we would have talked about as well last year, that we would see that there's some competitive threat come on the back of the generative AI because everyone would have used ChatGBT now and then you would have seen the power of ChatGBT and now many companies are developing something similar, which means that we might spend less time searching for particular uh, issue uh, on Google, and hence we might ended up spending less time on Google. However, a Meta is a particularly interesting name uh, as we speak today, just because if you look at the AI development, firstly, we have the NVIDIA, which is the infrastructure play that you need to have a lot of GPU uh, in the back end in order to power those applications. Secondly, for Microsoft, you have the day-to-day -day application for white-collar workers so that we would be able to generate more work or be being more productive. But thirdly, if you look at which company have the most data about consumer, 
about us on a day-to-day basis. Meta is one of those few companies. They know they have a lot of our data uh, through WhatsApp, on Instagram, and on Facebook. So if you think that generative AI could utilize some of this data in time, that Meta is a strong place. So we're revisiting Meta as we speak. And also, when we spoke um, around a year ago, which was a video interview, which can still be found on Interact Investors' YouTube channel, so do check that out if you didn't see it at the time. Around half of the fund was in businesses classified as technology companies. But today, the current exposure, it's just over a third. So which companies or parts of technology have you been reducing over the past year? Yeah, that is a slightly a confusing matter. Because when we had about 50% of our names in technology, that was mostly based on a GICS definition. And at the time, for example, MasterCard or Visa would be defined as a technology business. So internally, we have always deemed those businesses as financial services, and that number have changed recently. And of course, we have both Visa and MasterCard being on our top 10. At the same time, if you look at historically, like uh, when we first started running the fund, Amazon or Google or even Facebook would be deemed as technology businesses, which they they have since then migrated into other parts of the kind of the sectors. So to us, we we look at the end market exposure of our businesses rather than what they do as a business. And at the moment, we have about a third, which for the businesses that we no longer have, that we have replaced them with uh, certain names like the semiconductors business. And at the same time uh, that we have branch out to certain opportunities that we weren't involved with before, just on the back of this new regime. So broadly speaking, the M market exposure is about the same as it would have been a year ago. It's just being reclassified compared to a year ago. Correct, because the the way that we look at this is when we talk about digital transformation, which we have a lot of exposure during the pandemic, was we didn't look at those companies as just tech. And we have been telling people that we are not a tech fund, we are a global fund. We like company that can grow much faster than other competitors in the market or taking share from the uh, legacy businesses. And at the time, if you think about the names that we no longer own today, like Pay. PayPal, Amazon, uh, Google, or some other names that they are all tech businesses at the time. But of course, when you look at the end market, they are e-commerce, digital payment, digital advertising. So ultimately, of course, I mean, we live in the real world that that someone would need to pay for those services, either as consumer buying things from Amazon or advertising on Google search and or people are using PayPal app to make digital payment. So ultimately, it does link back to the real world. But of course, the way that we define technology businesses is if you look at NVIDIA, I mean, there's no doubt it's a technology business it's because it's a making a very sophisticated piece of hardware called a GPU. At the same time, Microsoft, you can argue that is a technology business because it's enhancing how we conduct our day-to-day business. But you can't say this for all the other technology companies that might be classified as technology. So if the fund's having around a third in technology companies, and you've spoken a lot about NVIDIA and Microsoft, could you talk us through other companies that you hold in that sector? And do you divide the sector into certain subsectors at all? Yeah, so what have changed in the last two years is because of the geopolitical uncertainty that one of the themes that came out from that is reshoring. 
And on the back of reshoring, if you are defining that within the tech domain, you are talking about silicon sovereignty. So silicon sovereignty means that at the moment, most of the semiconductors or the high-end M1 chips from Apple or any anything else, I mean, including the NVIDIA GPU, is being produced in Taiwan. And of course, on the back of the geopolitics uncertainties in Asia pack, that the Western world want to reshore some of this capability which is to build new foundries in Germany, in France, in the US, and even I think UK, we try to do something. And in order to do that, you would end up buying a lot more of the mission critical equipments, which, for example, on our top 10, we have LAM Research. They do sell the mission critical equipments to, to the foundry. And if you were to replicate the uh, foundry's capabilities in Asia, back to the Western world and you need more of those companies' equipment. So this is on the back of reshoring or silicon sovereignty and it's quite an interesting one. And then the other sectors that we ended up investing into probably just about this time last year was an energy company called Canadian Natural Resources. Previously, we would not be interested in the energy domain just because on a very high level that the energy company are relatively low quality. But because of the dynamics that we are now experiencing, that we believe that oil price could be well supported at a higher level than pre-cycle, despite the recession is yet to come, purely on the back of the OPEC relationship with the West and also at the same time Russia is weaponizing or the Middle East weaponizing their oil reserve. And we ended up finding this very high quality company called Canadian Natural Resources that have a very long life reserve of oil in Canada. At the same time, they have one of the lowest costs of production per barrel of oil. So we ended up finding this company and then we invested into this company and it has done quite well this year. So what is interesting about the narrative in here is we have both this year in 2023, NVIDIA, Microsoft, at the same time, Canadian Natural Resources have all done well. So it wasn't just some sort of like a hedge, like say, oh, tech is not going to do well and hence you have energy doing well or the other way around. Like you have both companies or both sectors doing well. So I think in this new regime that is important that you can pick the right company and hence the stock picking's bottom-up approach resonate. You mentioned geopolitics. As we head into 2024, I mean, that's one of the main risks facing investors. Could you briefly summarize your outlook for global equities in the year ahead? It's a very difficult one and also slightly complicated The reason being is our base case scenario going into 2024, 2025, including this year, is inflation remains sticky. It's going to settle down at a higher level than pre-pandemic period. So we're not going back to 2%. We could be at 3 to 4%. Of course, it's not going to see that 10% that we experienced last year. And because of that, uh, interest rate is going to remain at a high level that it could be at 4% in the US, not 5 but we're not going back down to 2 And 4% is still relatively high. Thirdly, we do expect geopolitical uncertainty to continue. We would expect more conflicts that could happen elsewhere in the world, let alone the two that we're already seeing within the last 18 months. So this means that it's difficult for most companies in the stock market to do well because either most of these companies are consumer facing, you don't want to have too many consumer facing businesses, 
or they would have exposure being an industrial company to, let's say, China or to some of this region that are not as stable. And also on the back of this is deglobalization, there's less trading involved. So when you look at the S&P 500 index this year on an equal weighted basis, so not on a market cap weighted basis, that is about flat or it's gone up a few percent. But when you look at the fund that we we are running until today, this year, that we have gone up over 20%. And then you'll be asking, like, how is this possible? It's only possible because we ended up picking the best of 25 to 35 companies. Comparing that to the rest of the market, that's about 1,500 companies. So if you ask me the question, oh, are we optimistic about the equity market in general? The answer is no. We think the equity market could at best be unchanged if not gone down in the next, I don't know, couple of years. Let's say maybe say unchanged. But we are relatively optimistic about the companies that we have in the fund just because we talk about AI opportunities. We talk about MasterCard or Visa being a good inflation beneficiary. At the same time, Canadian natural resources would benefit on the back of oil price remain at a higher level than before. And hence, this company could continue to deliver the free cash flow that we expect them to do. But it's not an easy environment. I think that's what we are saying. Unless you believe that interest rate would get back down to 2%. At some point, which might take some years to come. And then without that, then I think the challenges remain and you need to be very focused in picking the right company. My thanks to Stephen and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.